chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how should you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent not his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. May God bless to us an understanding of this, his word. I've been reading uh, uh, a little bit lately about um, Benjamin Franklin because uh, he had a contact with George Whitfield, who was a great American, a great evangelist who had come over here from England and who had a remarkable ministry in colonial America and really was responsible for what is called the Great Awakening. And uh, George Whitfield waked people up. And uh, Benjamin Franklin went often to hear him preach, and they had conversations together, and they wrote letters to each other. And I want to, uh, we all of us benefit from Benjamin Franklin because he was a genius. I'm wearing one of his inventions, these bifocal glasses. Uh, he invented, bi invented bifocals. He invented the postal system. Uh, he invented public libraries. 
He had much to do with the development of public education, the founding of the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, he made significant experiments with electricity. But let me read an exact quotation of a letter that was written by George Whitfield, this evangelist, uh, to Benjamin Franklin. I find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world as you have made much progress in investigating the mysteries of electricity. I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mysteries of the new birth. It is a most important and interesting study, and when mastered, it will richly repay you for your pains. Now, George Whitfield preached over 300 sermons on the new birth. Over 300 times he preached on the new birth. And when one man came to him and said to him, Why do you always preach you must be born again? Whitfield replied, Because you must be born again. That was why he kept on preaching it. And so when we come to Pentecost Sunday, and we stop to think about the great gift of the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift that the Holy Spirit can ever perform in your life is to bring you into the experience of the new birth, where Jesus is Lord. If you will remember from your study of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where Paul speaks much of the work, the gifts, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he tells us that no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. For when I say Jesus is Lord, I have made a confession of faith in him as deity, as the Son of God. When I say Jesus is Lord, I have worshipped him. When I say Jesus is Lord, I have entered into a fellowship uh, with other believers in pledging my loyalty to him. Now then, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, we are not certain. Many scholars believe that it must have been in the last few weeks of our Savior's life, maybe in that last week in Jerusalem, that Nicodemus came. We know that he came under the cloak of darkness because he's always pointed out as that man that came by night. And you can learn so much from these conversations in Luke chapter 3 and in John chapter 3, you read of Jesus talking with Nicodemus at night. In John chapter 4, you will see Jesus talking to a woman in the dead heat of the blazing noonday sun. The woman in John chapter 4 is one who has been married five times and now lives with one who is not her husband, a prostitute, an immoral debauchee. And the other is a person of classical learning, impeccable manners, great erudition in the scriptures, the teacher, the indefinite article is not used, the teacher of Israel. This man has received distinction, and yet here Jesus is sought out by Nicodemus for this conversation. Jesus had seen those remarkable signs that John is so important to point out that indicate that this is the Messiah. And so Nicodemus has come. I don't think he was really afraid when he came to Jesus by night. I used to. 
But the more I've read about Nicodemus, the more I don't think that's true. I think he came because it was the best time to have a good long talk with Jesus by himself. It was probably the only time he could catch him when a crowd of people were not around. I've tried to find out how it is that we got this conversation. Who told this in such detail? Did Nicodemus tell it in such detail to John, the writer of this gospel? I think Jesus himself told the conversation. I think Jesus himself told the conversation about the woman at the well. And if you let your imagination in a holy way reflect upon the teaching of the word, you can see something remarkable take place here. And here in this darkness, in this night, comes this man with this question, this great question. We know that you're a teacher come from God. Jesus wants him to know that he is more than a teacher from, come from God. He is God incarnate come to teach us. And so he is going to illuminate the mind of Nicodemus by saying to him, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you know, here we use the word see the kingdom of God. Now, the, the way that's used is like seeing and knowing. When you're working on a problem, you're trying to help your child with his homework. And he says, I can't understand it. And you say, now wait a minute. Take this and subtract this from that. Okay, now add this. And then he says, I see it. And then he gets the answer and he works it out. Well, here you see, Jesus is saying, you can't come to a knowledge of or understand the kingdom of God until you have another birth. Now, Nicodemus was no fool. He knew that Jesus did not mean literally that he should enter back into his mother's womb and be born. But Nicodemus was an old, old man. His hair was white. His skin was wrinkled. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a learned Pharisee. The years had gone by, he was set in his ways. How could his nature be changed at this advanced time in his life? And so Jesus tells him that it's possible for him to have a new birth. So Nicodemus is told by Jesus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. Now here our accurate translation uh, bothers me a little bit. The old English translation of 16 and 11 uh, says where it listeth. And it comes from the word lust, which has to do with strong desire. The Holy Spirit is sovereign and the Holy Spirit will move when and where and how he chooses. If the Holy Spirit wishes to save Charles Colson and he writes a book called Born Again, the Holy Spirit will save Charles Colson. Whether or not it meets with the press's approval and whether or not the, the, the clergymen of the city go for it, 
no matter what, the Holy Spirit is sovereign. He does as he chooses. He chooses even to work in the Roman Catholic Church. Read Bishop Fulton Sheen's article in Christianity Today this past uh, issue. Watch how the Holy Spirit works. But the Holy Spirit will always be bearing a testimony to the Lord Jesus. And he will always be pressing you to the cross, which you must go to in order to be saved. There is no salvation apart from that cross. And so here we are told that we are to be born of water and of the Spirit. Now water here refers to the need of cleansing. By my word, says Jesus, are you cleansed? The entrance of his word brings light. I have never seen a successful Christian who did not read God's word. You must read it. You must feed upon it. I had an old country preacher who was a great help to me early in my ministry. And he said, learn the rules of spiritual health. He said, feed on the word, rest in the Lord, and exercise yourself unto godliness. That's a pretty good recipe for good spiritual health. Well, here, Nicodemus is struck by what Jesus is saying, and the wind is blowing, and the leaves are whipping back and forth there at night. And he says, how can this be? The same thing that Mary said when she was told by the angel that she was going to give birth to a son that would not have a human father. How can this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and that holy thing which is conceived of you will be the Son of God. There is the testimony of the virgin birth. And something like that takes place when we are born again. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts. He works in our hearts. Why did he use this? Let me skip through these things because our time's going away. Birth is a universal experience. Is, is there anyone in here who was not born? If you are, I want to meet you. That's one thing we've all got in common. We were all born. So there is a universal experience. There, everyone is born. He comes into this world. Everyone needs a spiritual birth. This is what Jesus is teaching us here. Everyone can understand the spiritual birth, and everyone can experience the spiritual birth. Now, birth means life. Some of our young people in this Montreat community may not have had time for a lot of fellowship because they've been having a lot of little fellows and girls that are being born into their homes. We have a lot of new little babies in Montreat. And they, they bespeak of life. And a baby is going to grow. And uh, a baby is going to grow. We cleanse the baby. We feed the baby. We see to it that the baby is exercised. We work with the baby. And there are many little people who are born again spiritually and who need to be fed on the milk of the Word of God. Peter is going to speak about that in one of his letters later on. And you know, mankind shares the creative power of God when a baby is born into the world. Isn't that a remarkable thing? I love to see these new fathers when they go and 
look against the glass at the hospital window trying to figure out which one of those baskets has got that baby with King on the name there. And then they look and they see and they try to look at the wrinkled little hand and foot and they think about all these things. Uh, you see, a little life has been born, the Holy Spirit. And that little baby didn't get his hands one week at the hospital and then you go back two weeks later and get his feet and then you go back later and get his ears. No, God has, born, uh, has caused him to be born in a normal birth with all that he needs. And so it is here. Uh, we are born again of the Spirit of God with a sensitivity to grow. And we're born from above. Henry Drummond was a great friend of, of Dwight L. Moody's. And last week I got to worship in that Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. It uh, was interesting to see the sign out in front that Mr. Moody, I think, had put on his tombstone. Uh, it said, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And Moody was a great preacher of the new birth, and he had a great friend named Henry Drummond. And Henry Drummond used to speak about the different kingdoms. Henry Drummond was not a, a preacher. Uh, he was a scientist. And Henry Drummond talked about the mineral kingdom, and he talked about the vegetable kingdom, and he talked about the animal kingdom, and he talked about the human kingdom. And he said it's interesting about these things, the, the mineral kingdom. Uh, a, a mineral uh, cannot become a rose. A rock can't become a rose. Minerals can sometimes aid in the growth of grass. Uh, minerals may aid some way like this, but there is a kingdom that can reach down. And God reaches down from heaven. You must be born again or you must be born from above. God reaches down from above the human kingdom, the superhuman kingdom. He reaches down and brings to us the breath of a new life and a new spirit. He reaches down to us, and that's what he's done in the birth of his son. The birth requires two parents. Jesus alone was born of the Virgin Mary. But birth requires two parents, and here the parents of the baby Christian are the Word and the Spirit, born of the Holy Spirit, born of the Word of God. In 1 Peter we read these words, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Martin Luther used to say that the Word of God has hands and feet. The Word of God has hands and feet. And we're born with a new nature. The little baby that comes into the world is born with our nature. If we are at parents, if I do get to go home to Texas this summer, all my kinfolks, my brothers, and, and my children's cousins, and the nephews and nieces and all these people, they'll say, oh, doesn't he look like his daddy used to when he was little and it's embarrassing everybody and they go through all that. You see, you have a certain nature that's there, uh, that's there. Well, when we're born again of the Spirit of God, we take on a new nature that the Holy Spirit is implanting within us. Someone ought to see something of the Lord Jesus in us. 
Someone ought to see something of the fruits of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the goodness, the meekness, the faith, the temperance, the self-control. These things ought to be there. Born of water, born of the Spirit. To be born of, born of water is a physical birth. To be born of Spirit is a spiritual birth. Whenever Jesus taught spiritual things, people were so often apt to get them mixed up. In the chapter just before this, in John chapter 2, he says about the temple. Destroy this temple, meaning his body, and in three days it will be raised up. And they thought he was talking about the Herod's temple that was there. Uh, when in another chapter he speaks of eating my flesh and drinking my blood, they couldn't understand that. And Jesus tried to explain that to them. Well, the Word of God is meant to make us to understand these things, and when we study it, it does. Now, birth involves travail. We count the time. We count the contractions. We wonder when the time is coming, and the travail is there. Maybe there are no more people born into the kingdom of God than there are because Christians don't travail in pain enough for others. In Isaiah 53, 11, it says, As a result of the travail of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. If you ever see a sinner under conviction, you will see someone who travails in agony. I've had people weep their eyes out in my study until their faces were swollen and they were in agony. And they said, Oh, can God ever forgive me? I said, yes, 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 God can forgive you, and there was travail, and God brought to them forgiveness. We need to remember that about spiritual birth, and that birth always involves a future. little baby that's born into the world has a future. We look forward to the things that are ahead. We look forward to the things that are ahead. The little baby that's, that's come into the world is born again into a living hope. And lastly, birth is final. You know you can't be unborn. If you're born again, you can't be unborn. You might wander from the pathway. The Lord will go get you. He'll spank you. He'll bring you back on the track again. The Lord is after you. A baby has a need for loving care, like our friend Alan Lee was saying a while ago, uh, uh, for people to love and to fellowship with. He needs them to learn the language of Zion, the talk of the kingdom. Needs the food of the Bible, the exercise of Christian service, the cleansing of the confession of sin. He needs to know how to rest in the Lord. A new birth is a necessity. And Jesus went on to explain what he was talking about in terms that this old man Nicodemus would know from the scriptures. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You will never get pardoned from your sin apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. Your character will not do it. Your learning will not do it. What can take away my sin? Nothing 
but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, what does that blood mean? The scriptures teach us that we have pardoned, pardoned through his sin, poor President Nixon. Last week in his address on television, which I could not see but had to read the accounts of in the papers, told about the anguish that he went through in accepting a pardon. When you accept a pardon, you admit that you're guilty. And if you are not guilty, you don't need a pardon. But there is no one in this world who does not need the pardon of the cross. No one. And when you accept that pardon, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. The president could have rejected the pardon and said, I refuse to accept it. He would have had to stand trial. But if he accepts the pardon, he accepts the grace that is extended. Then let me say one further thing. When we accept the pardon and the forgiveness, we are accepted by God. There is no forgiveness without acceptance. Anytime people say, I can forgive him, but I can't forget, you haven't forgiven it's a terrible thing to say that. Don't ever be guilty of saying, I can never forgive that person for what he did. If you can't, you cannot be forgiven. But when you forgive, you accept. And when we ask for the forgiveness, God accepts us just as though we had never sinned. And now I close. What does this new birth mean? Well, it means this. It's a necessity. If you're born once only, you'll die twice. Hell is spoken of as the second death. But if you're twice born, if you're born once physically and then born again spiritually, you're only going to die once. The greatest old Christian I ever knew sent out this invitation on the day of her anniversary of her 50th year of her conversion to Jesus Christ. Let me close with it. This is a part of an article from the Dallas Morning News. Women more than men are apt to have a mind for anniversaries. Any husband or son can bear a testimony to that fact. For a fact it is, whatever your explanation of it. For instance, though it's more than a mere instance, the following has come to this columnator in a doubled envelope on paneled parchment printed in gold. 1890 to 1940, you're cordially invited to rejoice with Ms. M. Moss Richardson honoring the golden anniversary of her conversion at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning, the 3rd of September, 1940. How sweet the time has been. Psalm 8410, Psalm 956, Malachi 310. Of course, you understand the invitation better if you know Miss Moss. It might interest you to know that she's a professor of English at West Texas State University at Canyon. 
that her brother is Admiral James O. Richardson, the Commander-in-Chief of the United States Fleet. Nevertheless, Miss Moss is about the most informal person you can imagine, and just about the most unusual, too. Years of teaching have been years of adventure for Miss Moss. She makes them adventures in friendship. It was perfectly natural for her, therefore, to know that her friends really would rejoice with her in what is the biggest thing that ever happened to Miss Moss. So that's why this invitation was prepared with all the care that parents spend upon the announcement of the coming of their firstborn. You see, Miss Moss was born again at 10 o'clock in the morning, the 3rd of September, 1890. Miss Moss believes in God as truly as she believes in breakfast. She can't get along without him. God's not a name in a theological creed. God is her father, and he was right there when Miss Moss was born again. No matter how hard and crusty you think you are, you can't scoff at a faith like that. Just reading that invitation which Miss Moss sent out does things to you. It sort of gets hold of you. The church lost a lot when it quit talking about being born again and went to talking about psychology and sociology. It lost a lot of children that never did get born into the kingdom. Maybe Miss Moss grieves about those children who grow old without getting born again. But she doesn't preach about it or scold about it or reprove anybody at all. She loves life too much to make eternal life a burden to anybody. Take the trouble to look up Psalm 84.10 and read it. You'll see that it says this, A day in thy courts is, a better than, is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. All Miss Moss wasn't missionarying when she sent this out. To be sure, she's always a missionary in one sense. You see, her life is one of those living epistles known and read of all men that St. Paul talks about. But this invitation is not a tract. It's not anything in the world except what it purports to be, an invitation to personal friends to rejoice with Miss Moss wherever they were on 10 o'clock in the morning, September the 3rd, 1940, that she was born again. If you've never been born again, you can be born again right now. You can simply ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. If you want to come forward here, I'll be glad to stay and talk with you after the service. Oh God, our Father, take with us the things which we've thought about this day. Let no one here think that he or she is not a candidate for your kingdom. But let everyone know that those who are willing, Jesus is knocking at the door. He's still knocking. And that they can open the door of their hearts and ask him to come in. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our teacher and our guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.